We acknowledge the, tr the traditional owners of this country, the Turrbal, Yagara, Jagara, Yagarapal and Kondamuka peoples, and their elders past, present and future. Sovereignty never ceded. Mutual, 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 this is the Mutual Broadcasting System. As radio gets called everything from gag to gadget, but fate is to make radio a power in a world of peace and war. And the show you are listening to today is Radio Vessel. Today on the show we are going to be talking a lot about political morality and social choice. Musing on the philosophical content of some kind of a broader political economic critique. This is very much in the spirit of Radio Reversal. Good morning and welcome to Radio Reversal. Uh, it is 10.09 on your Thursday morning. You just heard True Romance by Hedge Fund after the news then. Um, and for the next two hours you're in the safe hands of Radio Reversal's um, top crack team of budget analysts. <laughs> uh, the, the topic today is indeed budget. Um, as many of you would have known, the, the federal budget was handed down on Tuesday night, uh, and so we're going to be doing a bit of an analysis um, this morning. Uh, I'll leave it to um, some of my co-hosts, Abe and Maddie, um, to talk a little more about the content of today's show. But uh, if you wanted to contribute, tell us your thoughts, um, or send song suggestions, Please do. Uh, our number here in the studio is 0420 626 733 um, for SMS, or you can also phone us on 32521555. Uh, or get in touch with us on Facebook or Twitter. We are Radio Reversal. Um, yeah, any any way to get in touch, we'd be happy to hear from you. But uh, Abe, what are we, are we talking about this morning? Thanks, Joe. Today, we'll, we'll take a Radio Reversal critical look at the federal budget and try to tell the sides of the story you won't hear from the mainstream media. We'll answer your questions, including, help, what is the budget? Is that like Hertz <laughs> or Europe Car? Or yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> Does Scott Morrison's budget mean capitalism is about to collapse? Also All yes. the way through to questions like, why is the government letting rich people steal our money and trash our future? Mystery. We'll talk about who can tell? <laughs> I don't think we're going to crack that one today. Yeah. We'll talk about funding for the arts and how recent demands for a living wage might be relevant to art and to artists. Mm -hmm. And at the bottom of the show, we'll hear from two actors in an immersive rock Shakespeare production of Much Ado About Nothing, which is showing in Brizzy in May this year. They'll help us explore arts funding through the eyes of people who are on the ground. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, yeah, the, the topic that we had written was budget WTF, so <laughs> that probably gives you a good idea of um, yeah what the next two hours will contain. Um, but yeah, uh, we ha we're lucky to have uh, Maddie in the studio because Maddie uh, used to work for Federal Treasury, Ooh. and I believe was involved in a, in a notorious 2014 budget. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so in comparison to that, this one looks fantastic, indeed. Mm. So um, Abe's yeah. got us here, starting out with what is a budget? What is the budget? WTF? What well, indeed? And I guess. In th <laughs> what is a budget? Is it dark magic? Is it a scam? All of the above. <laughs> I think in theory the budget is um, sets the government's spending priorities for the coming four years. It counts up all the ways they collect money and all the ways they're going to give out money. Mm -hmm. um, but in reality, I think the government is uh, the sorry the budget is a chance for the government to 
do a big political sales pitch. Mm. So Particularly as it's a federal election coming up sometime in the next year, most likely. Yeah, exactly. And it's a pretty weird document. So when you work in the public service, you're supposed to be frank and fearless and independent. <laughs> and you put out a lot of products um, that are based on your best judgment or your department's best judgment about reality. But the budget is an interesting one because technically as a document, it belongs to the minister. Mm. So it's actually a political document. So you're still supposed to do the best costing you can and make the best numbers. But Mm. the underlying assumptions about, you know, what will happen to wages or resource prices or the economy as a whole are set by the minister in negotiation with the experts. So it gives them a lot of room to move. Mm -hmm. For sure. And then, of course, there's a massive amount of copy in there, um, which people in the public service are writing, but, you know, fair, strong families. (laughs) And there's (laughs) a whole lot of politics and a lot of... um, heartache and work that goes into picking the right nice looking families Uh designing their situation nice white family with two kids with some sort of nice blue collar but not too poor jobs and it's a whole (laughs) that's so interesting I never thought about that yeah it's interesting I think people in Canberra get very into the budget bubble and Mm. are very convinced that the budget is um for like the moment that stops the nation. Yeah, I um, mean, I remember in a former life when I was more of like a mainstream politics nerd than I certainly am now, the budget was like, you know, an event. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, for most of the country is like, who gets... Well, it would be gratifying <laughs> for anyone in Canberra to know that it was an event for anyone <laughs> outside of... The it's Christmas for politics nerds. Oh, I know, but it's so stupid. But no, it, I mean, it's... And there's this attitude to- within... Um, the Treasury and the Finance Department and the other departments that produce the budget, that this is like a life or death thing. Mm. If there is a leak, if there is a number that's wrong, Mm. if there's a paragraph that has a typo in, if you pick slightly the wrong white family, (laughs) that the whole, like, nation is going to come crumbling down. But in reality... The white family looks too tanned. (laughs) Indeed. In reality, nobody cares. And even the spending and the savings things are kind of a bit beside the point because what you do in the budget. So there are statements in there about the way you give money to the state, sort of different departments. But the meat of the budget is the expense measures and the revenue measures. And mm-hmm. a measure means something you're doing, so mm-hmm. like a change in funding. So, you know, here we might have additional public hospital funding or some additional money for submarines or whatever, but the bulk of the money that the government spends is ongoing. Mm-hmm. So when we have public budget conversations, we get drawn into these niggling about, you know, a few million dollars here and here and a change to this and this. But often we don't step back and look at the broad picture of, like, what is our expenditure? Are we happy? Mm-hmm. Mm. There's always, a, a, like, this weird conversation about, like, bringing the budget back into surplus as well. Can you elaborate on that? <laughs> okay, well, that's a Other scam too. being speculation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's definitely a scam. Um, firstly, a scam in how much people claim to care about it. Mm-hmm. So um, a few years ago, the coalition claimed to care about it very much. Mm-hmm. This budget shows that they don't, mm-hmm. because if you do, you don't give out corporate tax cuts yeah. or personal income tax cuts. Yep. Um, secondly, I think the idea that you return to surplus at a certain time is a fiction. So you do you do all these things in the budget, you know, you add this much here and you take this much here, but at the end of the day, the underlying level of 
how much tax you collect, you have no idea because mm-hmm. they're forecasting one for 10 years in the future mm-hmm. and they do what they can. But if you change like a little, you know, 10 cents on the price of the Australian dollar or a dollar on the price of a ton of iron ore or whatever, mm. the whole budget swings by billions one yeah. direction or the other. <laughs> so the idea that you really need to like snip away every little million dollars from New Star recipients is just a lie. Yeah, They don't know, they're making it up. Yeah, And they're making it up so that on this day they can say, we did it, we balanced the budget. Mm. But realistically, they don't really care whether it ever comes to pass or not because mm. that is five years in the future. True. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, um, been thinking a lot about about Singapore recently. <laughs> this is slightly off topic, but um, the, my day job, um, we think we, Singapore is always held up as like an example of amazing, um, you know, technological um advancement and ingenuity and like the services they have all work so well but the thing is they're very authoritarian and they basically they can do long-term planning because Mm. the government knows they're going to be around to do exactly that yeah um whereas yeah with budgets i mean as you say it's kind of anyone's guess as to whether or not in five years or four years or even like one year the current government will be actually around to do any of this or if they're just kicking problems down the line absolutely and yeah there's been a history of um so the budget is a series of bills which are passed and they don't necessarily all get passed. Mm. So the budget you spoke about, 2014, was a notorious one where half of the bills that were proposed for cutting this and that were never never actually made it through Parliament. Mm. And so they write this whole package of things and we've done it and we take the credit. But at the end of the day, they might not get passed. Yeah, that's And so I suspect right? it looks like these um, income tax cuts, which we'll talk about later, pr- the majority of them probably won't get passed. Mm. So you tell people they're getting their $10, you pat yourself on the back, and then you go back to life as normal. Yeah. Mm. If people remember the GP tax, that was like 5 or $6. That's, I can't remember yes. quite what the amount was. On That was supposed to be everybody was going to have to pay 7 bucks to go to the GP. Mm. That bill never even made it to the Senate. Wow. Like we never even saw legislation. So We still had the outrage. <laughs> there was such a – well, exactly, and there yeah. was a huge political kickback, and it was because of the massive campaign run by all these people in the community that it never made it. Yeah. And um, then you get into this wildness in Canberra where you're modelling things for other purposes and you have to add in all these bills um, announced but not legislated, which means that the government has said that they're going to do them but they haven't passed and maybe they never will pass. Uh-huh. And at one point we got to having like three years of these <laughs> things that are clearly fiction but they're all there because a, they hold up the rest of the assumptions. And What a beautiful analogy for the Canberra bubble. <laughs> yes. Like a complete parallel reality that yeah. floats three or four years away from the current yeah. reality so in a very true. different kind of society. So true. Um, before I pass over to Abe to give us a quick rundown of what is in the budget, what is illegal phoenixing? <laughs> <laughs> well, one of my favourite things about the budget is that um, there's always a new catchphrase, like maybe it's um, offshore profit shifting. But yeah, here I was looking, countering illegal phoenixing. Which that sounds, sounds Legal phoenixing sounds so cool. I think it's something to do with bankruptcy. <laughs> Can but we yeah. find illegal phoenixing? Can we have more? If more anyone's phoenixing. looking for no, a, a band name, issue. illegal phoenix. <laughs> But, yeah, they've got a new issue of the year every year and then you look around the press gallery and suddenly everybody will be saying illegal phoenixing like they know what it means. Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) For the first 10 minutes they have no idea and then they have to – then they're Wikipedia. Yeah, (laughs) it's a great example, I think, of how the press gallery take everything from the budget papers and the budget speech without Mm -hmm. reading any further or undertaking their own broader brush thinking about what might or might not be important. So true. Okay, Abe, take it away. 
So it's in the budget. We thought we would give you like a super quick brain dump of what is in the budget and what is not in the budget. So we're just going to yell things and just <laughs> to give you a kind of this, flavor. And so there's a whole listening. list of bad stuff that the government has said before that they're going to do and that they've said this year that they're going to do, which is technically in the budget, quote unquote. So we've still got working until you're 70, raising the retirement age. We've still got, <laughs> um, there's uh, still no protections for penalty rates in the budget. Anything, nothing is in the budget that will make wages go up. There's still a $65 billion corporate tax cut with the same mm. trickle-down bullshit. There's a flatter income tax proposal that we'll talk about later. There's more money for the robo-debt scam. Woohoo! Because that, I mean, if there's one policy you want to expand, it's robo-debt. Wildly successful. There's yeah. a measure to make new migrants who are new to Australia wait four years instead of two years to access Social Security like Medicare and Centrelink. Cut, there's cuts to the ABC. There's $50 million to build a Captain Cook monument vomit. There's record low spending on overseas aid and development, 19 cents for every dollar of national income. There's plenty of uh, security um, theatre there. There's Operation Sovereign Borders, returning defence spending up to 2% of GDP to fight against quote-unquote regional terrorism. And the budget depends on really optimistic assumptions for the future. So all these cuts will likely end, all these spending proposals will likely end up costing twice as much as the government have said that they'll cost. Uh, then there's also this uh, this idea of limiting payments growth to 1.6%, aka effective cuts to the pension, new start, youth allowance, family payments, all that stuff's far in the future. And then there's a list of stuff that's not in the budget. There's no meaningful action on climate change, uh, building renewables. There's no new money for building affordable housing. There's no attempt to scrap investor tax breaks like negative gearing capital gains discount that would make housing much more affordable. There's no attempt to clamp down on corporate tax avoidance. Mm -hmm. There's no meaningful return of funding to science. There's no meaningful infrastructure spending on anything that isn't roads. Nothing to raise new start from below the poverty line. The money they took from the arts budget and for this new organisation called Catalyst that they promised to put back, they're not putting it back. There's nothing to make the NDIS funding secure into the future and there's no big ticket funding mm. for restoring social services that were cut in 2014 in that horror Abbott budget. Mm. Nothing for expanding uh, demographic changes, uh, nothing to refund schools under the Gonski proposal or any other fair kind of funding formula. There's no major funding on aged care or health, mm. despite lots of money to play with. What about this uh, space centre, though? That sounds pretty Ooh. cool. <laughs> so the corporate tax avoidance is one thing that's actually in there and illegal phoenixing, I think, <laughs> is one element of that. Oh, um, sure, yeah, yeah. And to some extent they've claimed that they're going to make a ton of money by resourcing the ATO to um, help multi stop multinational tax avoidance, but, of course, they're giving all that money and more away in corporate okay. tax cuts, so, right. you know, swings and mm, roundabouts. That's, mm, that's uh, right. And, yeah, what I should have said is multinational tax avoidance. And yeah. so the new laws that people have been calling for for years and years now uh, to stop offshore profit shifting and some of those really stringent protections that other countries have brought in, we haven't seen any of that. Mm. But they've done a whole lot of stuff around small businesses like the dark economy, <laughs> trying to cut down on people making cash payments. For they're trying to tell us there's, like, billions of dollars in, like, black market cigarettes being sold. Really? I've never heard this of this. This is their great white hope for fixing yeah. their bottom line. Can't you just yeah. buy normal Millions cigarettes? of dollars of tradies getting paid in cash, you know, billions of... Actually, there are a ton of money that old people keep under their bed. <laughs> well, on that note, um, I'll give you a few minutes to digest some of that... Um, and we'll be back um, after this song for more budget chats. Uh, again, if you want to contribute, um, please feel free to get in touch, 32521555. Um, but keep in mind, we can only answer when we're playing a song. Um, or you can SMS us on 0420626733. But um, we've mentioned the 2014 budget a couple of times and... Uh, 
there's a song here uh, that I found on, on the wonderful 4ZZZ database by Les Thomas called Budget Reply, Hey Joe. So <laughs> I'm going to assume that that was written in response to the 2014 budget. Uh, let's give it a listen. It's 10.23am and you're listening to... That was Budget Reply, Hey Joe, by Les Thomas. And a special shout out to uh, listener Ryan Layden for his passionate approval of our song choices. Um, love to have your support. Uh, we on Radio Vessel this morning, we are um, talking about all things 2018 budget. The official title for this show is Budget WTF. Uh, and luckily, in the studio with me, Joe, this morning, I have two people who know things about the budget Abe and Maddie. Hello. Hello. Hey. Um, and the wombat. And the wombat. Sorry, forgot about the wombat. I have the budget wombat. Yes, yeah, so if you follow us on Facebook, you would have seen uh, that we have the elusive and um, you know, high status 4ZZZ wombat in the studio providing budget analysis. Um, it speaks very quietly, though, so you might not be able to hear all the time. Um, but She's actually a burnt out, world weary former Department of Finance <laughs> seeking <laughs> refuge at a community radio real. station. Yeah, used to walk around outside Parliament House chain smoking on the night of budget, cursing <laughs> under her breath. Uh, speaking of actually uh, burnt out shells of people, uh, Maddie, I think you wanted to talk a bit about the budget lockup before we move on. Uh, yeah, so on the topic of budget being theatre, I think lockup is the ultimate. Um, so for anyone who's not a super nerd, um, in so budget comes out on the second Tuesday of every May um, <laughs> and all the budget papers are printed up, printed on actual paper, and then everyone goes up to Parliament House, everyone being politicians, sad finance wombats um, and the press gallery. Um, and from about midday, they're locked in there until 7pm when the Treasurer starts speaking. So they're given all these show bags with like the big hundreds of pages long budget documents of tables and all the glossy pictures of the white families and their <laughs> nice carefully massaged graphs. And they're locked in there in this weird pressure cooker where they're supposed to write all their stories with no internet and the treasurer and the ministers circulate around and do a lot of like back slapping and ha 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 and they frantically try and find stories in the budget papers and then at 7.30 everybody goes live. So it's mm. this bizarre like fevered Canberra atmosphere where like the only information you could get or need come from the government or the official sources mm -hmm. and the only people in the room, the people in the room are the only one that matters. It's kind of hard to get into lockup. It's this sort of like this exciting fate where you've got your show bags and I think the whole thing is just a nightmare like why <laughs> this playing into the government's suspense that this is their budget narrative you will listen when we give it to you all you need to do is ask us the budget is an event it's the whole thing is, mm. a, is a nightmare I used to work for a senior Greens politician and I was in the lockup a few times on the other end on the on the side of one of the opposition parties and um, yeah similar boiler, boiler room experience and that's where all of the other MPs in Parliament who are not members of the government get to see the budget for the first time. So you spend hours and hours like workshopping killer zingers mm. in <laughs> the room. So when you hear Bill Shorten and the other leaders, Richard Natalie and others, come out after the budget and deliver some really like smackdown zingers, they've been rehearsing those for hours. Okay, that might be a bit generous, but yeah. And then coming from the departmental perspective, so I used to make numbers for budgets and you, you know, the kind of charts you include can obviously tell a story or hide information and there's policy where you might know 
and the ministers might know things like unexpected, well, impacts of it that are negative, mm. like losers that they don't want to be out. And <laughs> so the set of charts... We're not interested in losers. Folks, it, we only want winners. Exactly, yeah. There's an obsession with winners and losers um, always. I don't think that's ever going to go away. Um, but, yeah, the, they're trying to send out these charts and these narratives to hide their losers. And so you're sitting back down at work waiting because there's a special room where um, journalists can go and ask um, people from the department's questions. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to unearth the losers and then they phone down and you're like somehow breathlessly hoping they don't find these things. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you're public servants. It's not your responsibility to cover up the impacts of the government's policy. But it sort of is implicitly. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting. And most, a lot of the journos don't have the background, particularly when they're not able to communicate with people to know what's really going on here. Uh-huh. Wow, this is so cool. Insider's view of the budget. <laughs> oh, and then show. everybody goes to um, Mooseheads or Unipub, one of the extremely tragic bars in Canberra, and gets <laughs> super drunk. For political staffers, they they go to Monica, Bike yeah. or Public. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Look, the other little like miniature scandal this year was that there was no free tea and coffee what? in the budget lockup. Are you kidding? And in previous years, like our great country was able to provide journalists and political staffers with free tea and coffee, and there was outrage. They had to queue up for a coffee cutter and buy it for three dollars fifty. Man, if they and look, they're probably infinitely more outraged about that than the fact that um, <laughs> refugees now have to wait an extra two years for I welfare. Mean, or they, they have record wage stagnation. If they can't give free coffee to the political class, something's really going wrong. Um, <laughs> So we wanted to talk uh, in more, de- more detail about a couple of um, specific proposals in the budget that are getting lots of airtime. Um, one of those is the flat tax proposal. Um, Abe, do you want to <laughs> tell us what this is? <laughs> I don't know if I can top Maddie's tag just there, but so the yeah, budget yeah. has three okay. major tax changes. The first one's a small tax um, offset or refund to um, middle income earners that works out to about $10 a week. That was really... Uh, that was put out there really widely by the government in the lead-up, and I'm sure that wasn't an accident because they, the whole story the government wants to tell with this budget is that it's tax relief, quote-unquote, for middle Australia. People, Peter Costello used to call the forgotten Australia. And the game of budget policy every year is to come away with one or two policies where you've got something um, snappy like $10 a week that's not too expensive but feels like it adds up to a real amount. Mm-hmm, mm. mm-hmm. So that's number one. That's a little tax refund to middle income earners, 10 bucks a week. Number two is a little tweak to this to one tax bracket that works works out a little bit better for like middle to higher income earners. Then the third one is a much bigger deal. Mm-hmm. This one isn't due to take effect until 2024 and then not fully take effect till later than that. That's six years time, two federal elections away. So we're probably going to be in the second term of the shortened government by the time this one allegedly is due to take effect. Like Mandy said before, sometimes very unlikely that these uh, measures actually get legislated. The government wants to remove a whole tax bracket. So people earning 41000 pay the same marginal tax rate as people earning $200,000 a year. So in Australia, we have a progressive taxation system, means the more you earn, the higher your tax rate is on dollars above a particular amount. Mm-hmm. And those are called tax brackets. Kicks in at about twenty-two thousand dollars. That's the that's the bottom one. Then it goes up to about forty thousand dollars. Then about two hundred thousand dollars. Actually, I'm not quite sure about those figures. But what they're trying to do is remove a whole bracket. Right now, there's a, a rate that we pay thirty-seven percent on uh, income above a certain amount. They're removing that so that everybody earning from forty-one thousand a year, which is below median wage, to two hundred thousand dollars a year, which is really way above median wage, pays the same marginal tax mm. rate of thirty-two point five percent. So as Sally McManus, the head of the ACTU, the head of the union's or organisation in Australia, has said, that puts a cleaner or a cook on the same tax bracket as their boss's boss. 
The government wants to do that by... So the total impact of that plan, i.e. the difference that it will make to the money that we have to spend on schools and hospitals, housing and public transport, is $140 billion over 10 years. Mm. It's a really massive cost. That's huge. Yeah, this this whole thing makes me very angry in a lot of different ways. <laughs> Just cut me off whenever you want, Joe. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wouldn't dream. The, the first one being the messaging of this as being assistance for low and middle income families. Mm. Now, firstly, we always have to say families, <laughs> as as begun with Gillard and her working families. If you're not a family, you don't count. Families have children, obviously. Um, yeah, this is not low and middle income. This is someone has looked at a graph of what is the person who works the average of full-time earners, what do they earn? If you made a couple out of that, okay, great, we're going to call that middle. But that's not the middle. That's radically higher. It ignores part-time work, unemployed people, single parents, all kinds of stuff. It's it's nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, simpler and flatter tax system. Mm. Now, aside from the fact that flattening our tax system is very... Well, I think it's rubbish. It's very unprogressive. And I mean, it's counteracting the whole design of our tax system. And this is one of the fundamental planks of our social welfare system in Australia. Um, Secondly, it's not simpler. There's a lot of complex stuff in our tax system. Mm -hmm. This number is not one of them. Mm. This is something that happens automatically on the ATO tax calculator. What's complex is all the stuff about deductions and capital gains and fringe benefits. We're not changing any of that. Mm -hmm. This is just giving money to kind of middle to higher income earners, Mm -hmm. which is a classic like Howard era giveaway. He gave a ton of of money in payments and this is giving a ton of money in tax. It sort of already seems pretty simple to have tax brackets. (laughs) I mean, you're making it very marginally more simple, I guess, by removing one of them, but like, I'm pretty sure my brain can deal with an extra tax bracket. (laughs) Yeah, it's nonsense. And it's also a lie to say that this, so there's a lot of messaging here about um, supporting aspirational Australians (laughs) and encouraging work, but studies show that these, the jump Across a tax bracket doesn't make a difference because mm-hmm. we have marginal tax brackets. So, what does marginal tax brackets mean? Uh, I don't know if you really <laughs> want to know. But, okay. Um, if you go up a tax bracket, you don't suddenly pay a ton more money. All you do is pay a higher rate on your next dollar of income. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so there's if, really no reason to. If you're in the 37%, for instance, tax bracket that they want to remove, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you're paying 37% on every single dollar in your paycheck. Mm-hmm. It means you're paying 37% on every dollar above, above. X amount. Yeah which is currently quite a quite a high amount. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as our um, correspondent noted a second ago, um, talking about average families, it's doing a lot of work with... This is another, I'm sorry, terrible nerd topic, but mean versus median. <laughs> so median, you line everybody up, you pick the person in the middle. Mean, you put everyone's money together and you divide it out. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, in Australia, we have a ton of people who earn millions of dollars. So when you add their money to the pool, you skew it. Mm-hmm. Median is like 50,000 compared to 80,000. Mm. That is a real difference mm-hmm. in a single person's income. Totally. Um, Abe, you had an interesting factoid this morning. Um, well, what you were talking about before about um, how the, the impact of the tax changes is $140 billion over 10 years, $140 billion less, that is, for schools, hospitals and housing over mm. 10 years. This came from an analysis from ANU. It wasn't even in the budget. <laughs> so the, that really big, chunky figure of $140 billion over 10 years, that was in the budget. But what wasn't in the budget was how much it would cost each and every year. And that's uh, the only way we can tell exactly 
uh, how much these handouts are giving out to different groups. Mm -hmm. So So this is why this is another like um, another budget fiction is that you only cost things for four years. Mm -hmm. But this budget, most of the policy, the corporate tax cuts and the personal income tax cuts are for the next 10 years. Mm. And most of the big changes happen after four. So that's a way that they don't have to cost it. Mm. Mm, That's right. And so what they should be doing is fessing up and saying, okay, we want to give high income earners a tax cut, this is how much it's going to cost Australia because we're asking your parliament to make a decision about this legislation right now, here and now, but we're not going to tell you how much it costs. It's <laughs> totally crazy. So some new analysis from ANU today shows that the full package of tax cuts will cost the budget $17.8 billion every single year that's insane. by the year 2024. So that's like just beyond the end of those mm. those forward estimates. That's what they're called in the budget. What a weird coincidence. <laughs> um, and that's when some of the really big chunky tax cuts for high income earners come in. That is the biggest single income tax reduction in recent history. It's bigger than the Howard Costello tax cuts in 2006 that we all kind of groaned at. And the only only the tax cuts that we all got in the year 2000 to compensate for the GST were bigger. And those tax cuts were explicitly designed to offset the extra GST Mm -hmm. we'd all be paying on everything that we buy. Mm -hmm. So this is a really, really major transfer of wealth. Mm -hmm. And this kind of stuff is really difficult to wind back because governments have a huge fear of creating losers. So even if you get a Labor government in there, it's going to be very difficult for them to go in and Mm. say, "Okay, now you're all paying more tax, plus whatever we want to do for our own purposes. Absolutely. What we need from Labor, from all the opposition parties, but Labor in particular, because they haven't said anything about this yet, is to say that they'll block these measures in the Senate. Mm. So I think that's that's a really good um, place to move on. But before we do that, talking about the political response to the budget, maybe, um, let's take another quick break for a song. Uh, This is... um, we were looking for some Dead Kennedys music because they've written a lot about killing the um, killing the poor, in fact. But uh, we instead settled on Take This Job and Shove It, uh, which I also like a lot. So let's listen to this one for the next minute or so and we'll come back and talk more about the budget. Uh, it's 10.41. You're listening to Radio Vessel here on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM. It's 10.43 here on 4ZZZ. You're listening to Radio Reversal. And this morning we are uh, taking a good, long, critical Radio Reversal look at the federal budget, which was handed down Tuesday evening. Uh, with me in the studio are two people who know things about budgets, um, Abe and Maddie, and uh, we'll, be, we'll be chatting about, yeah, the kind of the contents and implications of the budget uh, and playing some loosely budget-themed music, which you're welcome to request, as always. Um, and uh, yeah, in the second half of the show, I think around 11.30, so about 45 minutes from now, we'll be talking with some folks who are doing an immersive rock Shakespeare adaptation of, of uh, well, immersive rock adaptation of Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. And um, they'll be telling us some stories about arts grants and grant funding, which um, is also loosely budget related. So stay tuned for that. Um, but for now, let's talk about wages. Uh John Pacini, friend of the show, had a good quote on Twitter. Um, thanks, John, for providing your intellectual property for Radio Reversal. Uh, he says, it's cool that the government is going to give an artificial wage rise because capital won't. Um, so, Abe, do you want to get into some of these, these wage questions? Yeah, totally. I think the background to the budget that a lot of people in the community are feeling is a terrible wage stagnation. Wages are going almost nowhere. So that's what that's what's actually been contributing to stagnating living standards as wages rise slower than the price of stuff, so slower than inflation. The share of national income going to, to workers versus the owners of companies, so labour versus capital, 
uh, is the lowest it's been in 50 years. So it's a really serious long-term structural trend. That's what's animating some of this increasingly panicked stuff from the government about Which is weird because wages. the first page of the budget website says the government's economic plan has delivered a record number of new jobs for Australians. Yeah, that's right. They love <laughs> to... yeah. If they can find a statistic that will make things look good, and in this case it's new job numbers, uh, then they'll use that. But of course those job numbers mask lots of... Um, part-time jobs, lots of underemployment. Uh, so the, the combination of unemployment and underemployment is still about 15% in Australia. So, And that doesn't even count people not looking for work. So, so like John said, the government is trying to give a little artificial boost to people's household bottom line, so a little artificial wage rise because capital, so the owners of companies, just won't do it or, or aren't being forced to do it. Um, but it's, it's kind of sad because a wage rise would beat a tax cut any day of the week and getting together to win higher wages would be more effective than, than these tax cuts that favour the rich in any case. Um, so the Australia Institute has crunched some numbers uh, yesterday and found that, quote, for a worker earning $60,000 a year, which is higher than the median income, the tax plan would increase disposable income by about $530 by the last year of the budget period. By contrast... The annual normal wage increases of 3.5%, an annual normal wage increase of 3.5% per year, would boost disposable income in the same period by about six thousand dollars. So five hundred thirty dollars from the tax cuts versus six thousand dollars from decent wage rises uh, every year. That's eleven times as much. And of course, zero for people who are part-time or casualised, probably because their taxable income isn't high enough for this to even make any difference. That's right. All of these goodies the government's talking about in the budget go to people who are earning above twenty-two thousand dollars a year, and mostly to people who are earning above fifty and sixty thousand dollars a year. Uh, and and even higher, but it's interesting because budgets have been making this this assumption, and and really that's what it is in built in the budget in those all those rosy predictions of all these rivers of money coming in in future years to pay for tax cuts. Built underneath all of that is a really optimistic assumption about what wages are actually going to do. So we said wages are going nearly nowhere. The budget says that's all going to change. Mm-hmm. We're going to get back to 3.5, 3.25% wage rises every, each and every year. Uh, and budgets have been making that kind of crazy assumption for really, really years and getting it wrong every single time. So every single budget since 2011 has made some not-so predictions about growth and wage rises. The budget predicts that wages will start growing at 3.25%, despite the fact that they're in the 2% now, and with unions at a, at a kind of historically low ebb and unemployment pretty high, it's not really clear how that's going to happen. So it's just fantasy. And this land. is where we get back into the um, incompetence or conspiracy. I personally think conspiracy because if you come up with a low growth assumption, this will affect the amount that the treasurer has to splash around. They put pressure on you. It's like, oh, okay, look, I found some more money. There's a, there's no incentive for the treasurer to um, make a modest or conservative assumption about how much revenue they'll be coming in. Mm, that's right. And if they do make a, an optimistic assumption and then things don't turn out like they planned, they can say, oh, look, global conditions. Mm, we work, yeah. Our hands are tied. We have to cut new start. Too bad. And because they live in this fantasy world of their own creation, they then don't have to reckon with how do we actually fix wages because mm. they're like, look, it says here on the paper the wages are fixing themselves. Yeah. If, um, if On the wages question... Um, if any of you follow, follow Adam Bant on, on Twitter, there's a, a graph here which is very frustratingly graphs cannot be conveyed verbally over the radio. <laughs> so there's a pink line going up and a little purple line going slightly down. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's kind of a graph showing um, act, the actual wage price index versus the budget wage price index forecasts 
um, for each budget since um, 2011 and how wildly different they are. That is how each budget has predicted rises, um, a rise in wages, which has not occurred. So if you want to, yeah, if you want to have a look at that one, um, check it out on Adam Bant's Twitter. It's a good kind of visual representation of this fantasy land. And so there isn't even a plan to get higher wages. So mm. every time the government says, oh, we really need higher wages or help, then, you know, people say, okay, well, how is that going to happen? Mm. And well, probably all the money from answers. the illegal phoenixes <laughs> that, I, yes. I don't know, kept in their legal phoenix cages yeah. are going to sort it. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. Every time workers actually get together and ask for higher wages, they throw a tantrum. Yeah. So, and they're making it worse. They're actively making it worse by passing union-busting laws, letting penalty rates get cut and doing nothing about it, holding down the wages of their own staff. So if they actually wanted to practice what they preach, uh, they would give public servants a pay rise. Instead, they had this arbitrary 2% wage cap. And that's a really long way from their incredibly rosy 3.25% prediction. So, like, get this, the public service is huge. It's one of the biggest employers in Australia. And they're saying we're going to have 3.25% wage growth. But our own employees, they're going to have 2% wage growth mm. a year. And, you know, that's that's somehow fair. And they've also got historically really low employment levels. So this is another budget catchphrase, the efficiency dividend, mm. which means that you tell the departments they can't spend any more money and they fire people and it's not your fault. That's not nearly as cool as the legal phoenixing. <laughs> yeah. So when we have a, we've got this really constrained number of employees in the public service, wow, mm. I wonder why social services yeah. are yeah. not working so well. <laughs> yeah. And it leads them to really weird and yeah, hilarious I'm about this. <laughs> yeah, so like people ask, oh, how are wages going to happen? They say really hilarious stuff like, oh, workers should ask for it's it. It's about self-confidence if you uh, <laughs> just believe in the wages. Have considered leaning in? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And since the election, you can really watch the panic rising in Scott Morrison's comments. Like every, every few months or so, this promised uh, boom in wages doesn't come about. And he, he comes to some really weird places. So in June 2017, the boss of the Reserve Bank, so he that person's a public servant, just told workers to ask for wage rises. Um, <laughs> and he said if that were to happen, it would be a good thing. And then a couple of months later, um, Morrison promised that, there's, oh, the big booming wage, the wage boom is going to come really soon because we're going to pass the corporate tax cuts. And he points to the building industry as a good example of that. And then, of course, that's extremely weird because the whole 2016 election was based on the premise of undermining the power of construction workers mm-hmm. to win a pay rise by trashing the CFMEU. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you can really see that in the budget rhetoric too, where we're talking about stronger jobs, uh, stronger economy, a jobs bonanza, but then you read down the page a bit and there's helping relieve budget pressures, cost of living. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these things can't be true at the same time. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's kind of funny. The government is basically wishing that workers win their demands for higher wages while frantically doing everything they can to stop that from happening. Mm. I heard a bit of an interview with um, our definitely non-friend Jennifer Westacott um, <laughs> from the Business non-friend Council of Australia. Friend of me. Who was saying <laughs> that she loves his budget, loves the tax cuts, saying that when the economy is strong, companies are successful. When they're thriving, this is what happens. You can give back to the community. So true. I mean, since penalty rates disappeared, I've seen like, so many more jobs created, right? And yeah. like... Everyone's everyone's thriving when when companies thrive. And Jennifer, mate, if you want to give back, like talk to some of your companies. Has anyone had a wage rise? Like you don't need to wait for the government to give back to the mm. community if this mm. is what you're concerned about. That's Maybe a- talk to the one third of the members of the business council who pay zero dollars and zero cents in tax. <laughs> that could be an interesting way to give back to the community. Uh, it seems a little bit uh, punitive. I just wanted them to give back out of the. Uh, the you know goodness of their hearts. That's <laughs> all of our constituents are fully legal registered phoenixes. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's the thing I, I think I've talked about before on the show, this weird fantasy that um, when businesses get profits, the first thing they want to do is like give more of it away to workers, either in the form of high wages or hiring more people. It's exactly the incentive to make money off a business, right? Mm. Um, okay, so I think we've got Z-Lines coming up at 11, but before then, time for a, a quick track. Um, and this one is a, is a, a subscriber request, um, and he says it's tangentially related to the budget um, because uh, the last line is a heartless broken mess. So we'll accept this one. Uh, it's Them Changes by Thundercat. It's 10.53. Uh, you're listening to Radio Vessel here on 4ZZZ. That was Calling Out to the Masses by local band Team Utopia, uh, a fitting song for this morning's topic on Radio Vessel, which is the uh, 2018 budget, a, a utopian budget if I ever saw one. Uh, that was sarcasm. Uh, in the studio with with me this morning, I'm Joe, and in the studio with me is Maddie and, and Abe, um, two crack budget experts who are helping us navigate uh, this kind of this this new thing that was handed down to us on Tuesday. Uh, and before Z-Lines as well, you would have heard uh, My Type by Spender C featuring Miss Blanks. Um, again, loosely budget related, and we're happy to take requests from you um, for similar loosely budget related songs. But before we do that, I um, wanted to flag uh, an exciting and not unrelated conference happening in town uh, this weekend. Uh, this is the Marks 200 Brisbane conference, and uh, if you're at all on, on the, the leftist internet, you would have seen a ton of stuff um, over the past week about Marx's 200th birthday, which was, I think, last weekend. Um, and Brisbane, um, just to be a little bit different, is having its its Marx 200 celebrations this weekend. Uh, so from Saturday to Sunday, um, there will be a lineup of sessions and um, panels and speakers, um, including myself, uh, kind of looking into some of Marx's ideas. Are they relevant today? Um, is clinging to Marx a, a sign of dogmatism or fetishization of outdated ideas of social change? Um, we don't think so. Uh, in an age where, where we're told that capitalism's global dominance is virtually complete, uh, yet it seems increasingly incapable of offering a future for all of us, Marx, we think, has a lot to offer those who want to change the world today. Um, so we'll be having sessions on things like Marx and the environment, um, social class, class identity, class struggle, um, understanding capitalist crisis, Marx and gender, the philosophy of Marx and Engels, pretty much everything you could think of. Um, so if you're at all interested in any of this stuff, um, it's on, yeah, this weekend at um, Common House in Fortitude Valley. And uh, I would say just look up the Facebook event. Maybe we can post a link on our Facebook for the full program. Um, but, yeah, it'll be, I think, a good introduction for people who are interested in these ideas but maybe haven't had a formal theoretical kind of look at them Um or haven't had a chance, and there will be hopefully zero people telling you to buy a paper. And uh, there will be a big red cake, though. There will be a, a red velvet cake, um, and childcare is offered. So bring bring along your kids. Um, and, and there'll be a fun party on Tuesday night. Yeah, right? and on Tuesday, uh, Saturday night there'll be a Marx's two hundredth birthday bash uh, with a film screening of the Young Marx. Um, so it'll be a very fun event, not dogmatic, um, not yelly, just looking into some interesting ideas and then eating red velvet cake. Special invite to any press gallery journos who <laughs> might want to expand their budgetary analysis. Indeed. Um, it's so, a surefire pathway to galaxy brain for press gallery journos. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we ever, so I think, yeah, the next thing we wanted to talk about was actually Newstart. Ah, uh, yes. So <laughs> amongst all this um, spray of money for higher and middle income earners, corporate tax cuts, we have... Um, I think the coalition just continuing on their new start path, which has gone ever since 2014 with a number of cuts. 
Um, so New Start, as we know, is not a living wage. It's not um, keeping up with the cost of living. Um, none of that obviously has been touched. But we do have a couple of little things like um, people... So we have a move to a four-year waiting period for to collect new start for refugees and recent migrants. Um, and similarly, we have an expansion of the RoboDebt program, which the government claims will collect $100 million a year, which sounds like something, but in the scheme of budget is nothing. So, I mean, on both of these measures, we're going to spend almost, we're going to gain almost no money and we're going to spend a ton of time harassing the most valuable, vulnerable people in our society. Um, we also have a scheme that encourages lawful behaviour from income support recipients. How could um, you be against that, Maddie? <laughs> the Commonwealth will be able to make compulsory deductions from welfare payments of serial fine defaulters who have outstanding court fines and be able to suspend or cancel welfare payments of individuals with outstanding warrants or indictable offences. That one is freaking scary because yes. a lot of low-income people or people who've had run-ins with the law have been criminalised in other ways often have outstanding warrants against them mm. when they've just failed to show up for a court date, yep. they've missed an appointment, things escalate, the support workers are, overwor- are overworked and stressed and they refer things to the police. The police can't find the person, they send them to the court, the court issues an, a, a warrant. This is not an unusual thing. And you could have someone who has almost no idea that they're wanted for anything, that they've done anything wrong, suddenly lose their payments and not be able to get them back for weeks. Yep. And, yeah, this compulsory deduction of fines is just horrendous. Like, we... Similarly to the to the court dates, like fines can really spiral, and this is oh, this whole thing is mm. makes me super super mad. And you start is thirty percent below the poverty line right now, and what we're asking people is to is to start paying some sometimes really ridiculous amounts of fines that build up um, while they're not aware, or they're they're in prison, or those kinds of things that come out. They've got thousands of dollars in fine debt, and you've got someone on thirty percent below the poverty line having their income reduced even more. Yeah. And when you compare this, so the, the robo-debt's allegedly going to get $100 million a year. By comparison, the government's spending $60 million a year on funding for chaplains or $50 million on this uh, monstrous Captain Cook statue. So th- they don't care about the money. This is just um, an expansion of really punitive behaviour towards um, income support recipients. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, OK. <laughs> uh, do we also want to talk about um, a bit about arts funding? Yeah, that sounds good. So at, right at the top of the show, we said, um, so this discussion about wages has been really interesting. And I think it's interesting to think about how that uh, applies to the arts and to artists. Mm-hmm. So our friend Hannah was going to be in the studio with us today, uh, but was unable to make it in. Um, but we've had a bit of a chat with her about her experience as an artist. And, and really, if you're an independent artist, you're living off fees, royalties mm-hmm. and any grants that you're able to secure. Mm-hmm. And so those government grants are a really important source of income for people who are creating all this brilliant stuff that the rest of us can enjoy often for free. Mm -hmm. So back in 2015, the then Arts Minister, George Brandis, cut $100 million from the Australia Council for the Arts. That's an organisation that hands out money to artists who submit applications, that kind of thing. Um, And that money hands out uh, money to all... That organisation hands out money to all kinds of artists. Instead of taking the money from the big art organisations like the opera companies, the ballet, ballets, orchestras, galleries, theatre companies, um, Brandis took it from this organisation that primarily does small-scale stuff. So instead of instead these small and medium arts organisations who are forced to apply for project-to-project funding anyway and live in a state of extra precarity, uh, he's made that even worse. Um, when Mitch Fifield came in, the new arts minister, he restored about a third of the money to the Australia Council with, and there was a promise mm-hmm. to give the rest of the money back, which has never actually happened. 
Um, and we've seen in this budget, the 2018 budget, instead of that, there's been a further cut to a, another organisation that also supports Australian arts and culture, the ABC, mm. uh, of about $84 million over four years. You heard a bit about here about um, George Brandis's personal arts slush fund. Uh, which this I, is the most beautiful thing. <laughs> uh, which he has renamed Catalyst. I mean, That's right. <laughs> I feel like that name might be already taken by the ABC television show. So normally what happens with government funding is the... Minister says this this much is going to go to X thing. Mm-hmm. Here you go, Department of Arts, Department of Communications. You administer it. You choose who is the most deserving. Mm. Instead of that, this the the money that George Brown just took from the Arts Council, an independent organisation, he put into this new fund, which he was later called Catalyst, mm. that was administered out of his own office. Mm. That means George Brandis personally was signing off on what kind of projects uh, the Australian taxpayer should support via public funding. This is like, it's I really, trust George it's unprecedented. taste in the arts. I think he seems <laughs> yeah, like a very I mean, cultured man. And <laughs> I think what we really need is an opera about Gallipoli. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Anzac spirit is just inadequately <laughs> represented yeah. Yeah, in Australian cultural life. Um, and one of the examples that, that Abe um, came across was a, a $10 million upgrade to a heritage-listed building. Is that right? Yeah, that's Instead right. Instead of an I actual think, project. I think <laughs> Hannah came, came up with this oh, one. Hannah, but, yeah, that's right. And so you've got all kinds of Is this by any chance stuff. one he can see from his electorate office? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, <laughs> and this is what happens when you hand control of taxpayer funding to individual ministers. They come up with their own, like, independent, sometimes quite ostentatious or, frankly, weird obsessions or preoccupations, and you end up seeing taxpayer money spent on, on really stuff that would never make the cut mm. under an independent organisation. Including... Um, a wonderful Captain Cook monument, uh, which we have seeing, are seeing fifty $50 million assigned to uh, from this budget. So this is, um, uh, yeah, Hannah, um, sometime Radio Vessel co-host and friend of the show, has put together some incredible spice about this, this um, monument. But um, basically she's... The point that she's making is, well, there's an $84 million cut to the budget of the ABC. Yeah, and around $50 million of that um, is being assigned to this Captain Cook Monument and Memorial Project in Botany Bay. Um, so she says there's kind of some attempt to make the Captain Cook Memorial more palatable by framing it as celebrating the first meeting between Europeans and Indigenous Australians. So I guess that's one way of putting it. <laughs> Um, and there are consultations with the local mob and, and Colonel who are kind of tentatively behind the idea, but there's a lot of opposition from Aboriginal Australians. Um, so on ABC Radio this morning, Senator Pat Dodson said, I think we've got to find ways to deal with our history. And we've heard from the Uluru Statement from the Heart for the Need for a Truth-Telling Commission from Makarata Commission so we can come to a greater consensus around the settlement narrative, the occupation narrative and the so-called discovery narrative of this nation. I think we have to get behind these, get behind, get beyond these colonial and draconian measures that keep continuing to divide us. Um, whereas Aboriginal activists, Pastor Roy Minicon says it's still an invasion and it's still an unwanted invasion. Um, every so often, there's something that really just reminds me of the Howard government that crops up, and I think mm. this is one of them. <laughs> just the kind of needlessly petty showmanship of reactionary values. It's just pure culture yes, war. Culture yeah, exactly. Yeah. I reckon for a pretty low sum, almost free, they could have the Captain Cook statue in Cairns, which is currently painted maroon and is advertising the Tradies Pub. <laughs> there you go. Which I think is just as much reverence as we should show for Captain this Cook. This is, I mean, you're missing an opportunity here. So 
I think one thing that Captain Cook, if we are going to have, controversial opinion coming right up, if we are going to have a Captain Cook monument uh, for $50 million, firstly, it needs to be animatronic. Mm-hmm. Thank you, someone on Twitter, for suggesting that. But also, <laughs> uh, it needs to commemorate maybe the, the less well-known parts of Captain Cook's life. So towards the end of his life, uh, when he died, in fact, uh, in 1779, uh, he goes to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Uh, where there's a process of colonisation already underway and the native, uh, well, the the people living in Hawaii at the time are kind of in this dialogue with Europeans trying to maintain their independence and, um, you know, their their wealth, I guess. Um, And you've got this encounter between Cook and the native Hawaiians in which somehow they steal a boat belonging to the British. Things spiral out of control. Captain Cook attempts to kidnap the king of Hawaii and then is killed yes. by native Hawaiians. On Valentine's and Day, right? That's right. And yes. so and so what I really hope is that we have like a little montage of Captain Cook, <laughs> you know, allegedly discovering Australia and then some Hawaiians boiling uh, his bones to, you know, make... Uh, make amends for I this. Think, yeah, this is the only, I mean, you have to tell a whole story. Can't just How's <laughs> about we take the existing monuments we have? Like, he's got a river, he's got a shire, there's Cooktown, there's the statue in Cairns. I'm sure there's a million. We can turn some of those into bone boiling monuments mm-hmm. and use that $50 million for something else. It sounds like maybe a some Frontier idea. Wars um, <laughs> monuments. Before we um, go for um, a quick break up to play a song and then jump into an interview um, at 11, around 11.30. We did have a question from a listener um, about community radio funding in this budget, which is a great point, which I shamefully had not even considered until she asked. Um, and she mentioned a uh, petition that was a few years ago to stop um, cuts to funding to community radio. Um, and we did a little bit of research uh, in the interim um, after her phone call. So can either of you tell us anything? What does it look like? I mean, obviously, we don't want to present these kind of things as, as necessarily fact. Yeah. <laughs> well, basically, it's good news. So okay. a couple Well, of even I looked in the budget PDF, so yeah. it's definitely well, it is, No, okay, never mind. <laughs> Our understanding is 100%. Though, well, that's funny. <laughs> Please come back, Hannah. The, basically, it's good news. There was a, a campaign a few years ago because uh, it looked like community radio was going to be really seriously mm-hmm. defunded. There was a big push from members of the community and, you know, like a lot of people active in this space. The government was forced to agree to some extra funding and also to secure the ongoing funding of of the grant program. So uh, in the, f- the in the budget papers, we've got the base funding amount of about $15 million, $16 million continuing for the next few years. Good. If you're a community radio nerd and you know more about it than us, please let us know. Yes, and <laughs> that doesn't mean that Portable Z doesn't need your money. Uh, we <laughs> always need your money. So if you have been thinking about subscribing, if our community radio is close to your heart, go ahead and do it. Uh, it is... You can choose the rate that you subscribe at and um, you will get a warm glow of uh, supporting your local radio station as well as, um, depending on what you choose, you can get some... Oh, no, hang on, that was only through Radiothon, never mind. Uh, (laughs) The warm glow only. And you'll also get to request songs as well. What a beautiful transition, Joe. (laughs) It's incredible value for money. You know, you can say it's, it's good news, but it's much the same as the rest of arts funding, social services funding, where, you know, they're not doing anything terrible in terms of cutting it, but they're not restoring any of the stuff that's been taken away Mm. by the last few years. For sure. And thank you to you, the listeners, for sticking with us through this budget show. Um, hopefully it was, well, our aim on Radio Vessel is to talk about the kind of serious topics in a, in a way that's not incredibly boring. So hopefully <laughs> we managed that this morning. Um, and we'll be back again next week at the same time, Thursday, 10 till 12. Um, but for now, stay tuned for Brisbane Line at 12 p.m. 